Thank you for joining for this episode of the Techspective podcast. Uh, my guest uh, this episode is Patrick Har from uh, Slashnext. So, Patrick, if you want to introduce yourself, give a little background. Yeah, Tony, great to be here. Um, so, Patrick Har, I'm uh, CEO of Slashnext. I've been in and around security far too long. Go uh, date myself, go back to Novell. My first product was a proxy product. And then uh, let's say I graduated to Bluecoat. Did a little bit more proxy work and then sold my first company to uh, McAfee in the compliance uh, security risk uh, uh, area. Um, actually came to this company because had a couple, uh, let's call it phishing events, uh, that uh, the quote gift cards went to me at the VMworld trade show. And then I had POs go to the wrong destination. So uh, Slashnext is really focused on how do we stop phishing, social engineering attacks, uh, not just an email, but anywhere I can message you. I can compromise you as a threat actor. So we want to use AI to, to effectively stop those attacks, prevent those breaches from happening, and uh, really have seen some uh, good, basically working with customers, the ability to now detect and block those threats before they interact with the users. Very cool. Um, yeah, to date myself, I guess, my, 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 one of my first official duties when I had my first uh, job in IT was removing Novell. <laughs> it, it is. It's interesting to go back in 96, 97. I think it was 24 as a GM. I ran all the single sign-on, the board manager products. Still one of my favorite products ever built. Um, in fact, that team I built it with went on to Juniper, ran 5,000 developers. So um, it, what's interesting, Tony, is, uh, you know, let's say it's different technologies, but the same issues we were dealing with then and the same uh, today. We just have it now. We can apply AI to solve some of these uh, some of these things, as opposed to back then. It was a little bit different. Um, yeah, I don't want to. I don't want. I don't want to derail our conversation. But I, I, I just had the realization. I was listening to someone's pitch yesterday, and I was thinking about how company like the framework of the pitch of the sort of like. The existing tools aren't delivering the outcomes that people want. There's too much noise. There's information overload, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I'm like, that pitch keeps being the same pitch, like for a decade now. And 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 whatever is the you know the the, the pitch that whatever the product was that was being pitched yesterday, two years from now there's going to be someone else giving me the exact same pitch about why I need to replace that tool. Yeah. Uh, it's like the the language of what we're doing doesn't seem to change, and 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 uh, yeah, I'm gonna have to again. I don't want to derail this, but I'm gonna have to dig into that some and and look at that. Like, why is it why is it that it sounds like we just keep solving the same problem, and apparently we're not solving it very well because two years later we still need to solve the same problem. Well, I, I think at its core, these threat actors keep evolving around the same problem. Right. So while the problem, as an example, identity management, which is something I had back then, identity management is still a massive issue, right? And because that's typically how you're breaking into networks, how you apply the techniques for solving or managing identity is different today just from technology perspective, but the same issue applies. So I think that's the reason why you continually evolve. Uh, a, the threat actors evolve. B, you have to continually evolve. But it comes back to the same things, right? I, I have network security, I have identity security, I have endpoint security. Um, yes, now I have cloud security. We didn't have that back then. 
uh, but we could argue that data center security is somewhat the same. Um, yeah. I, the one, the one difference though, I used to say back then people are, people are people, not IP addresses. I still hold true that uh, human security is still the biggest issue. Uh, cause that's, especially as we shifted to COVID remote working, et cetera, that's where the threat actors know that they can compromise users. And that's, that's what we're focused on. And, um, I, I can make the argument again, there's severe underinvestment in the human security. It was typically around training. Now with AI, ChatGPT, I, I saw an e, I, I saw this uh, thread from the head of the NSA. He said, I, as the NSA director, can no longer uh, tell if it's a real email or not with a link. Uh, so I think that's slightly different from what it was before. Um, well, and that's because of these threat actors have available to them tools they never had available to them. Um. All right, that actually that actually is a good good segue into kind of where I wanted to start because, um, to your point, uh, I had the conversation a, a number of years back, six, five, six, seven years, um, about the, the the question of if the investment in security keeps going up every year, why does the problem also keep going up every year? And the answer, which is similar to what you just said, is well, the threat landscape keeps growing and evolving as well. So yeah. it's not that we just keep spending more and more money and we're not solving it. It's just that we're solving it and it's growing at the same time. So now we have to solve more. So you brought up AI and, and chat GPT, and obviously that's been all the rage in 2023. I mean, that's the, all we can talk about. Um, I see things coming across LinkedIn, um, you know, that just in the month of April, there were like 200 different generative AI tools introduced yeah. Um, and it seems like, you know, that's, that's the hot buzzword. I mean, and I'm sure, um, I, I, I was, I did not attend RSA this year, but I'm sure if I had walked the floor that four out of five booths were saying something about generative AI. Um, so from your perspective, and you just talked about it a little bit with the, about the NSA director, but, um, what do you think has been, you know, what's the impact of chat GPT and generative AI? On the threat, on the threat landscape. Yeah, I, I think the biggest impact to the threat landscape is it's reduced the cost of being a threat actor to zero or almost zero. Um, let's just dissect a phishing, a typical phishing attempt in the past, right? A lot of these phishing emails, as an example, would come out of South Asia, Nigeria, and I would hire English speakers, right, to obviously attack U.S. or English-speaking uh, countries. Um, that's the reason why you could tell there was still some broken English, right? It wasn't perfect. Um, now with ChatGPT, I no longer have to worry about being, quote, a perfect speaker, perfect English. Um, second, I don't have to customize each attack, right? Sit there manually and say, hey, I'm going to go here, go here, go here. Uh, with ChatGPT, I can now do things at scale, unlike before. A, I can put as an example what's called business email compromise, which is typically financial fraud or invoice fraud type of attack. And I can say now send this, like the typical attack, send this AWS invoice here versus here. Um, through ChatGPT, A, I can create that. B, I can tie it in through API to send grid as an example, that's an email service. Uh, I can say launch it. And then if I'm not successful, change it. Right, continually modify until I am successful. Again, that's all with a click of a button. There's no human interaction once you do that. So think about the implications now, 
right, on, on the broad landscape. A, I don't have to have any knowledge about how to do it. B, I don't have to manually sit there and actually send, send, send. Uh, third, I don't have to keep recreating or customizing that attack. Uh, fourth, I don't have to hire English speakers anymore, right? So I'm just specifically talking yeah. about a business email compromise. So that's the difference is I can now threat hunt at scale with almost zero cost. The one other thing I would add here, right? You can go to GitHub and get a phishing kit for about $100, right? And that does all the automation, right? So the combination of those two things are pretty, pretty powerful. They're pretty weaponized. Um, we're not only seeing that in the phishing side, you can obviously apply that to malware. We've all heard about polymorphic type of attacks, right? So again, if I'm not successful with the first one, say continually modify, right? Almost like a virus, a, a variant, keep modifying like COVID. By the way, I, I got COVID in RSA, right? <laughs> it's like, it got, had to deal with it again. Um, that's because of the continual modification, right, on the fly. So it's almost a similar aspect you're going to see in the ChatGPT case uh, that really impacts phishing, malware, viruses, et cetera. And it really, from from my perspective, just lowers the threat barrier down to zero, that threat actor cost is zero. And that's why even since that launch on our side, we have a pretty massive lab. We've just seen, again, not just a small increase, but almost an exponential increase because of the, the availability of the tool. Well, what's interesting is that you know, I, I've, I've, I've played with it, uh, ChatGPT and BARD and Bing's, which is just ChatGPT. Um, what, and, and mostly I've worked with ChatGPT. And what I, what I find from a content creation standpoint is I can still tell. It, it, like yeah. if, if you just take if you just give me the gen, the, the chat GPT output, I can tell because chat GPT is very formulaic about the way it writes an article or a blog post because it follows that like fifth grade formula you were taught that you have an opening uh, intro with a thesis, you yeah. have point one, point two, point three, and then you summarize in the conclusion your thesis statement. Um, and the thing is chat GPT every time, the, the final paragraph begins with in conclusion comma. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, that's like a, it's like an amateur writer yeah, issue. Okay. The thing is, it also doesn't take that much to learn. Like it, just with a little bit of effort, you can learn to just modify the way you ask the question to chat GPT to get rid of that stuff. So it, it there's a small, there's a learning curve to get it right, but the learning curve is small. And I think, for the, something like like an email, um, I think it's not that it's not as easy to identify because it doesn't follow that same kind of formula. And also, yeah. if if I have if I have sample emails, like if I had ten emails from you that I could point it to and say, "Hey, here's your reference links. Give me an email that looks like Patrick wrote it that says X Y Z." Um, and it's pretty good at that. It's pretty good at saying, okay, I can I can talk the way Patrick talks. I can I can analyze his kind of mannerisms uh, in email, and then and then generate something that sounds like that. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean it, it, that that is that is the thing. And and um, one of the things that uh, I had I had mentioned on a, a previous call with people on your team is. Uh, I, I don't remember who it was. Someone told me a few years back, I was talking about the, the, the broken English. I was talking about how bad these things are. Yeah. And 
and how easy they are to spot because of that. And I was always like, why don't they? It's not like we don't have cyber criminals in the United States. How hard would it be? Like, there's got to be some kind of like Fiverr or Upwork kind of thing on the dark web where you just say, hey, I'll give you 20 bucks <laughs> if you could copy <laughs> copy edit this for me in English. And I was always like, why Why don't they do that? Why, you know, it seems like you you do, it would do better. And they told me that they, there was a, there's a hypothesis out there that in some cases, the broken English was on purpose because anyone who would read, anyone who would read it and it didn't raise red flags and they actually clicked through, opened the attachment or responded or whatever, then by definition, they're an easier mark. Like if they were, if they were, if they were like gullible or, you know, dumb enough to, to, to not notice any of that, then they're also an easier target. And I mean, I don't know if that's true. Don't know if it's true across the board. Um, but I guess the next question then for companies, for you know, people in general, is sort of the what now? Like how should, how should the security, security community react? to yeah. generative AI threats. And, and I'll, I'll caveat that slightly with a month or two ago, I, I, wrote a, I wrote an article on Forbes where I basically said, we need to stop talking like the sky is falling about generative AI. Like, like you know, it seemed like every other headline was, you know, generative, you know, chat GPT and generative AI are, are, are gonna just ruin everything. And you know we're gonna have all these, all you know, it, it's it's gonna fundamentally change threats. And in the ways that you and I just talked about, it will. But at the at the front line, at the at the at the point of attack, it's like it's still just another attack. Like it's just, yeah. I mean, it's not, you know, it's like it's it's faster. It's 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 you know, you can automate it, do it at scale, like you were talking about. But it's still just an attack. There's nothing magic about it. So you should be able to stop it. You should be able to identify it and stop it the same way you would identify and stop any other, you know, phishing attack or or BEC. Yeah. So uh, I think to this point, I uh, almost to zoom back here for a moment. Right. Um, over the last five years, we've we continually see quote the evasive techniques. Right. You kind of solve for one problem. They they started. You know, they spot up another area to try to bypass the countermeasures you put in place. And I, I, in many respects, I look at generative AI and ChatGPT and the likes of those type of tools is kind of quote the next iteration of threat actors being able to bypass different things that were put in place. Um, and so I, I highlight this as an example, right? And if you think about it in the training simulation aware security awareness trainings, you would always teach someone to look at JoeBadGuy.com, right? Just look at the URL. That's a very easy thing to discern. So a technique we started seeing is that, listen, I've got all these free services embedded inside of Microsoft.com or AWS or Google.com or SharePoint.com. Guess what? The threat actors knew all the tools were tuned to look at domains, right? And if it had a, you know, a 10 out of 10 score for Google, they let it all through. So the threat actors start using legitimate services to launch their attack, right? So that's as an example of one reason why we don't trust anything, verify everything on links, right? We detonate all those links in virtual browsers. This is on our own independent of the end user. So we can go in and verify it was a real SharePoint link as opposed to 
hey, it's a it's a squatting on the SharePoint link. And we do that by fully detonating it, looking at, we know down to the pixelation of exactly what SharePoint or the Microsoft 365 page is supposed to look like, the buttons, the layout, we know what the HTML code, et cetera, right? But that was one evasive technique we did see. Um, and that's the reason why training also wasn't necessarily starting to work. And the reason why breaches continue to go up despite the fact we were spending on mass, right? Exponentially more in cybersecurity spending. So now let's, let's pick on, files right we also saw an evolution in the files right uh you started looking at signatures in these files and a lot of the companies got very good at looking at these signatures well lo and behold we had started seeing uh, as an example dot html files i don't know if you've seen this in your environment but i, it, I actually get them every day right it comes in as a voicemail guess what those things are really those are really gnarly because they actually resolve local in the browser. They don't even resolve externally. So your proxies that came out of that world, they're not going to stop that because uh, it's resolving in the browser. No external DNS communication. Uh, second, your host tools like CrowdStrike, Sentinel-1, et cetera, are not going to see it because it's more of a layer seven aspect. Um, so that was another evolutionary technique. Obviously, the goal there is once I can compromise your browser or backdoor into the network, I can do some drive-by, I can do some other things that are associated with it. So in, in many respects, I look at what we're talking about, ChatGP is kind of the next iteration, right? So we already started seeing these evasive things. Let's, as an example, I would hijack an account, what's called an account takeover, an email. Um, I then start creating some trust with you and start writing those, those, right, those uh, emails back and forth. And that's how I would start intercepting, hey, let's send this PO over here, your banking account information change, blah, 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 blah. Um, so again, let's look at ChatGPT as kind of next iteration because now I don't have to do as much hard work in that process of trying to compromise you. I can actually test, right, again, almost through automation. That's where I actually look at ChatGPT as more of the automation at scale, threat acting at scale. And if I'm not successful, let's, let's just iterate. And so on the counter side, Right, we, we, a couple of years ago, we started working on our own generative AI, right? And this wasn't the hot buzzword. We were doing out of necessity because we did start seeing these AI, I mentioned on the link side, we started moving from a parent to a child, to a grandchild, almost adding a subcontext to the link, literally within 24 hours. We're like, wow, there's some iterations going on here. Started seeing that in the file side and the natural language side, we started saying, hey, they weren't successful here. They changed it, sent it again, changed it, sent it again. So we said, there's no, we have to get out ahead of the curve, right? Out ahead of this type of, uh, let's say, quote, polymorphic, right? Continual change. Right. So we started developing our own generative AI in, in many respects to take a core threat, send this AWS invoice here. Think about it, there's only so many ways to say that. Um, so we'll take that core threat and then we'll spawn it, we'll clone it, and we'll spawn as many iterations as possible of saying that same thing. And in AI, you're only as good as your data, right, to train your models. So now if you think about it, if I can take that core threat, spawn it, and then go back and train your model, I can now anticipate what that next threat through ChatGPT comes in. So in many respects, what we're doing is putting these countermeasures in place to identify, you were saying, yes, it's still contextually, I can identify some of these things, but we can do the same thing, right? By using AI, I don't, I'm not gonna rely on the human to basically through training to identify this. Well, and it's interesting because you're, you're, like I said, you're, you're, you're saying on the one hand, 
the, the threat actors can use something like generative AI to say, hey, if that doesn't work, just keep iterating, send another, yeah. you know, and just modify it and try again. And what you have designed and developed with human AI is basically to say, okay, well, let's let's do that ourselves. Yeah. And try to get a step ahead. So, you know, yeah. so we see the first one. Now let's go ahead and, and use, use generative AI the same way the threat actors are to say, okay, well, what are all the next iterations going to be? So that I can preemptively say, okay, I'm I, I've already identified all of these and 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 I, I will recognize all of them. Yeah, and it's, that's exactly what we do, Tony. Because uh, again, we we call it generative human AI, right? That where we're applying these to links, we're applying to files, but I'd say most importantly, really on these natural language attacks. And again, not just an email. Think about actually the number one attack vector now is SMS, <laughs> right? And you'll get the not only on the consumer side, change your Netflix password, right? Click here or, or Chase Bank account got compromised, go change your password. But we saw real attacks. These are publicized, not me kind of trying to create any fear out here. Um, like a Twilio, they, they actually publicized their SMS of an employee that continually kept bombarding, going back to this threat acting at scale, um, continually bombarded their employees with change your Microsoft password immediately, click here. Finally got someone. And by the way, you couldn't just use a takedown service because it was a whack-a-mole problem. If they right. wasn't didn't work the first day, they changed it and changed it and changed it. Um, so SMS has now become pretty problematic, and it's not just the links. The really more dangerous ones are uh, call Tony IT immediately, right? Because your account got compromised. There's a phone number, and we all know in this world, once I get you live, right, the, the all bets are off. Uh, um, and so we're seeing a lot of those type of attacks. And this is another area where we're using both generative AI to continually spawn these different iterations so we can train our, our SMS model. Uh, but second, pretty unique, and we actually run machine learning directly on the app in the SMS channel so we can contextualize as things come through and we're gonna pull it out before it actually goes to you. Um, interestingly enough, this is, all of a sudden almost exploded out there. Multiple Fortune 100 companies are being bombarded in this area. It's a big unprotected gap. But I zoom back here for a moment. If you think about using generative AI to almost spawn these different iterations of these core attacks, then I can make my models a hell of a lot more intelligent. And in turn, as I said, anticipate that next threat. Right. So kind of in the the warfare methodology, right? You're, they, they have their kind of attack. We're building these countermeasures so we can anticipate what that next thing will be. And with the goal to obviously remove as much of this as possible so they don't interact with it. And I would say, if, right, this world is always going to be a whack-a-mole. Let's, let's, let's call a spade a spade. But if I can, quote, reduce the attack surface so I don't have a you know, a thousand mile, like kind of, you know, border. I have to, uh, if I can now narrow it down to a, like a mile, yeah, I can be a lot more strategic on what I'm focused on as opposed to right now it's wide open. Uh, as I said, right at the outset, anywhere I can message you, I can compromise you, whether it's in LinkedIn, whether I can do it in Telegram, Signal, Zoom, right, Teams. We've seen attacks in each one of these communication channels. And I, I am of the opinion now, if you're not using AI to fight AI, you're not gonna be successful. You will continually get breached, and I don't care how much money you spend in the network, the identity, endpoint, blah, 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 blah. You will continually get breached, 
um, because they know the weakest link in your security posture. They know it's your humans and they're going to continually attack. And that's the reason why training is not going to work. You have to augment it with the AI kind of controls. Yeah. Well, yeah, I told you, I get, I get, I get them all the time. And it's interesting because I am TechSpective. I'm the whole company. I'm it. Yeah. I get emails that say, hey, this is the TechSpective IT department. You need to reset your password. I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> they're like, you know, hey, Tony, you, you, you received a fax. I'm like, I haven't received a fax since like 1992. Uh, that's not true. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's like, you know, oh, you've got a voicemail. I'm like, no, I don't. You know, so, yeah. so I know to just to miss, dismiss them out of hand because I am TechSpective and I know that TechSpective didn't send me anything. Right. Um, but I can see how for a larger company, how some of those things would work. I mean, if you've got a thousand employees and it appears like maybe it came from someone in the company, then I could see how that would work. Um, yeah, Tony, I'll, I'll give you just a quote, a hypothetical situation, right? Uh, or a couple of them, highly, highly creative, highly unique. In the one case, there was a CEO impersonation of, a, of they knew the CEO was traveling in China. Uh, so they created a WhatsApp profile of that CEO. Uh, we're on Teams right now. They had sent out a Teams request to a, to the financial team at the company. Uh, you know, a few of those individuals showed up to that Teams meeting. Uh, they had screen scraped the CEO interview uh, on CNBC. So they got on this Teams meeting and started playing the screen scraped CNBC interview of the CEO. We've all been on Teams or Zoom and I can't, hey, I can't hear you, Right. So after a couple minutes, they said, I can't get my audio to work. Can you upload this information, this financial information on uh, on a SharePoint link, right? So squatting on a legitimate service uh, with the attempt, right, to get financial information. It's right at that point is where we intercept things, right? Because uh, we're not, we don't trust those SharePoint links or anything else, um, but very creative attack. So now imagine with generative AI, particularly with ChatGPT4, that chat, the big sea change in chat GPT three to four is now you're at voice and video too, not just text. Um, and I don't know if you've seen some of these auto generated commercials, not perfect, but we're starting to get to a point because you move from about four frames a second to 400 frames per second. So the speed encoding of your voice and your video is almost going to be synonymous. Um, so you can imagine this world is now I can take we're doing these podcasts. I kind of run it through the generative AI machine, and I can basically launch that creative attack without even screen scraping. Um, another very creative one that that we've seen, right? Uh, just uh, I, I just I highlight back to um, almost this the tech side of the equation, um, where again I've already talked about this bombardment kind of factor. But what, what we're now seeing is more of the creative. I, I know your locality, right, uh, based off whatever, however they're generating this telemetry. I know who you interact with. So I'm almost crafting more of these tailored messages to you based off some A priority knowledge. The final thing I would note, and this is perhaps the most creative one. This is, again, a hypothetical situation where they had uh, someone had uh, contacted basically HR and redirected someone very, very large in the company, redirected half of their payroll to their own bank, you know, to their own bank account. And this is a very large quote security company. Um, so despite the fact of all these different tools, 
right? They were able to creatively wedge themselves into the money flow, into the chain. And the reason for this, in each one of these situations, I'm dealing with a human interaction, right? And, and, and that's why I actually look at this as the most dangerous posture of any, most dangerous thing you're dealing with in any security posture are the unknown, right? Your kind of random variable factors are the most random variable that you have in your environment or your people. So I would advocate turn people into that kind of your competitive weapon um, to, to solve this problem as opposed to the other way around. Okay. Well, you know, we talked earlier about how, you know, it's, it's, it's all the rage, it's the hot thing. So now all of a sudden everyone is, you know, hey, you know, we, we're, we're, we're building generative AI into this, that, and the other thing. Um, and I feel like going back to, you know, my, my own experience using some of these tools, I feel like for the scenarios you're describing and, and the, 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 the threats that we're talking about there, I feel like that's valid and viable. On the other end, like, and, and uh, I, um, I've done some things where, like, you know, I'll, I'll ask, I'll ask ChatGPT to, to, you know, I'll say, hey, go, go write this, and it'll come back with an, uh, an article. I'll say, you know, I'll say, you know, write, write me an article about, uh, you know, slash next, uh, you know, generative human AI, um, and uh, you know, make, you know, make sure you weave in a quote from, uh, from the CEO. It will just make it up. It, I mean, like it won't like find a quote or it just makes up a quote. And that's actually worse when I, because I, 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 I did some, some playing around trying to ask it to uh, cite references or whatever. And it would, it would generate a quote from a real expert or journalist or whatever that I can't find any evidence of that quote existing in the world. Or like it would include a link. It would say, "Oh yeah, we got this from uh, you know Bloomberg," and the link looks real. You know, it 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 it's a Bloomberg.com yada 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 yada. When you click on it, it's a 404 page doesn't exist. Like it's literally inventing links because yeah. it's like, oh well, you asked me you asked me to cite links, and uh, you know, so I just made some up. I'm like, obviously that's <laughs> for other for other uses of ChatGPT. That's going to be a huge problem. Um, and, and, and I've, and I've noted, I've noted that from the standpoint of, you know, there's been a lot of sort of controversy or pushback on, you know, these things, whether it's Dolly or whatever, it's like, okay, well, you're just, you're just stealing other people's content, <coughs> repurposing it, claiming it's your own, like your, your generative AI just thought this up and then putting it back out in the world. And my issue with chat gpt from a content perspective or even just answering questions perspective like in the use of bing or bard is it doesn't cite its sources so yeah. you can't verify the answer you can't go and you can't go and say well let me just check and make sure if that's true and most people aren't going to take the time to go see if it's true like there's a i forget the name of it but there's actually a psychological phenomenon of it, it appears to be a coherent English sentence or whatever. It makes sense to your brain. Therefore, you don't really question it as much. And you just kind of go, oh, all right, well, it, you know, the generative AI knows more than I do. It says this is the answer. And then if people keep publishing that stuff on the internet, that becomes the training model. Yeah. So now, now, now the generative AI is training off of its own 
misinformed answers. And it creates like a downward spiral of a year from now, we there 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 just won't be anything real anymore because it's just uh, you're making stuff up. Yeah, you're highlighting a, a real problem. Um, I was out on Capitol Hill a couple weeks ago, and right the again as I was saying before, your AI models are only as good as the data that you have. Uh, so a couple things I would say, number one, ChatGPT and the likes of it, or we're in a baseball game, right? We're in the top top of the first inning. <laughs> this is still early. Um, there's going to be a heck of a lot more innovation. We again, almost a leapfrog from ChatGPT or GPT three to four, just in terms of the access to data, the, the types of data. Um, but second, to your very kind of point, if you're training your models on misinformed data or what I would almost characterize bias of that data, then we can really run into some very, this is getting more of the philosophical side of the equation, some really dangerous type of aspects that I think have pretty severe ramifications. And I, I believe this is the reason why you're seeing many out there calling for a pause. Because what are the guardrails that people are, are really guiding to? Because if I'm almost in many respects creating an echo chamber off of my own artificially created content that was that really has no basis, no authoritative, you know, kind of um, links that you were highlighting, then in many respects I could put out quote disinformation and continually train on that, so a lie becomes you tell it a thousand times, right? It becomes truth. And I, I think that is one of the more philosophical dangers that we have to worry about in generative AI, independent of what we're talking about, just in the security ramifications. Now, ultimately, that still can have a security ramification, because if I'm trying to create countermeasures to this, quote, misinformation, what am I going to do? Um, so there's a lot of lots going to happen here, right? Security, philosophical, society. Um, you know, it's not the purpose of this podcast, but certainly, again, as I mentioned, when I was up at Capitol Hill, it did devolve and a lot of the conversation devolved into this and what are going to be the guardrails that are put around this to ensure that, you know, dependent on your point of view, that the biases do not creep into these models such that through by you going to look at something that becomes the truth, because I, I do believe there's not enough questioning with people, right? It's an immediate acceptance. And if I immediately accept, uh, I, you know, as an example, in, in the Google search world, I used to go search and I'd get to choose from the 20 different things. Now, if I'm getting the one answer and by default, that's the truth, what are we going to, what are the implications? Right. That, well, that's scary. Well, now, you know, Google Google now does like the, the answer box thing, where it's not necessarily the top search result, but it takes finds what it thinks is a good answer and it just gives you the answer box up top. And if, you know, so yeah, a lot of people don't look past that. Like you, yeah. it, it, it displayed an answer for you right there on the top of the screen and you know, off you go. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, a, that is, a, I mean, it's a whole, it's a, it's a different thing, but it's a related thing to talk about the, the, the algorithms and, and such. Um, and a, a number of podcasts back, I had uh, David Marcus on and we were talking about how, you know, even if you and I, if you and I were having a debate about, is well, especially a, a political debate. If you're on, if you're on one side and I'm on the other, and we're talking about an issue, and we say, well, let's, you know, go Google it, look it up. The thing is, your Google is going to show you answers that 
align with your views. And my Google is going to show me answers that align with my views. And so we both think that we've done our due diligence, we've done the research, we looked in, we, we, we checked Google to verify the information. And there's a confirmation bias there because the algorithm is showing you what you want to see. Um, and so even just trying to say, well, you know, let's have this debate and let's both be, you know, mature and reasonable about the debate. So let's let's look at look up the answers and 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 talk about it. That even that doesn't work if the algorithm because the algorithm is trained to show you what you want to see and it's trained to show me what I want to see. And so we actually like everyone actually sort of has their own instance of Google based on their own personal algorithm. I think it's going to get a little worse because I think that unfortunately I think you're going to get one answer. And whether you like it or not, because uh, yes, I, I obviously in the TikTok case as an example, right? I get my view of TikTok, and you get your view, et cetera, et cetera. But if you think about it, ultimately, depending on who's behind the curtain, right? The 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 person behind the curtain, the Wizard of Oz fact. If you're almost sitting behind and you have bias in your models, in your right, you could ultimately dictate that I am that single source of truth becomes the truth. That's 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 what I would get more concerned about, even more so than I can go get two different echo chambers, right? Because that is what it is currently. Um, and that's that's the reason why I believe these guardrails are going to be pretty important. Now, don't want to solve this here, um, but I, I think there's some philosophical stuff. I also think there's, you know, I already saw IBM announced they were going to start automating jobs, right, through through generative AI. Like, as you imagine, you remember the movie Wally, right? And you had all these people just floating around, and all they did was eat and drink, and what, what was their purpose in life? So, there's many, many different things. Because I, I, I do think, unlike quote the fads, right? They always come out. We were talking about, hey, it's a different story, but say, you know, it's basically the same movie, different story from five yeah. years ago, or the same pitch that you got. This is truly a kind of when dot com happened, internet exploded on the world. This is that magnitude type of thing, perhaps even greater. And so the implications of this are far, far more impactful just to general human life. Um, so as I said, those are philosophical things we're all going to have it, to kind of debate. It is philosophical because well, so I, I I had this discussion recently with uh, with my kids. We were talking about how. On the one hand, like so everyone's like, oh my God, generative AI is going to take my job. Yep. And that's posed as a bad thing. And in the short term, it is because you know the we're we're set up in a we're set up in a situation where like, well, no, you need a job to buy housing and food and shelter and clothing and all that. You you need a job. But ultimately, it's like, well, no, I want the AI to take my job. I mean, if it's if it's a job the AI can do, if it's routine and repeatable and and whatever, and it can be automated by AI, by all means, let the AI do it. Why would I want to do it? It's just that we also have to get to the point in society where we say, okay, well, now what do we do with the people? Like, do we have a universal basic income? Like, do we cut back to three-day work weeks because there's less for us to do? Because, <laughs> I mean, ultimately, it's like, that's the idea. That's the that's the like utopian future ideal. Like if you go watch like old Star Trek episodes or whatever, like, yes, the AI yeah. should be doing all of the things so that I can just sit around and think about philosophy or, or paint, paintings <laughs> or whatever I want to do with my time. Like for the most part, people work because they have to, not because they want to. So if, if we could have the technology do all of that for us, why wouldn't we? Yeah. 
hey, these are these are those big, uh, you know, they quote sixty four thousand dollar question, right? That that people are going to have to work through and answer, and because it is made, it's it's going to have that type of profound impact. Uh, whether you mentioned painting, right? You can go get some pretty phenomenal. Hey, I want a a Monet combined with a Picasso, and go give me a painting, right? Or go take a, a concert written, you know, or symphony written by Bach and, and marry it with Amadeus, right? You can imagine these different things and you're going to get pretty incredible things. So there's going to be a lot of good, but there's also some impact things. And and uh, so we'll, we'll see. This is a, one of those quote we, we shall see. Yeah. Well, and, and on that, you know, so like I just watched yesterday the, uh, you know, the uh, Adam Conover, the guy who does the Adam Ruins Everything. Yeah. He did like a 25 minute, Video. It's on YouTube about generative AI and 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 saying, you know, basically saying, well, it's not generative as much as it is imitative. It's based on the data set. So yes, yeah. I can say, I can say, can you make me a, you know, a a a a Dali style painting, but in the but in the in the you know using the the techniques of Picasso or whatever. I don't know. The, you know and and. The AI can say, okay, I have the whole data set of Picasso paintings. I have the whole data set of Dolly paintings. I can figure that out. What's less possible is to create something truly net new. Yeah, you, to, need you know, for the like for, for the gender of AI to be like, well, if I just say, okay, create me art that has never existed, is <laughs> like, you know, what 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 would generative AI even do with that? Um, <laughs> you know, so. You know, so, and, and so it's got. You just got me thinking. I, I just saw some headline the other day of it was art that was it was a banana with a piece of uh, masking tape or, or. Oh yeah, the banana on the wall that yeah, sold then, like. Then he, yeah, but then he went and ate it. <laughs> so I just got that. That's the type of creative art you're never going to be able to replicate in the uh, generative AI side, right? Art, or art, the, or the holder, or the 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 Banksy. The Banksy one that was uh, had the shredder in the bottom, and yeah. as soon as it was sold, it just shredded itself. <laughs> that was the art. It was performance art. Yeah. You know, so you just or, paid millions of dollars for this shredded art. Or you take the can of paint and throw it up against the canvas, right? The random effect. So, truly, I, you know, I, I think uh, this is not this is not doomsday. There's always augmentation of everything in this. Uh, you know, I've heard people describe uh, generative AI as more your co-pilot. It's going to help you. I, I really do think many respects it'll benefit uh, everyone because it can turn quote humans into superhumans and get you to be able to do things you probably can never do before uh and or focus on things that you want to do not just because you have to um i am probably more of that that opinion that that work is a great thing because it keeps you have purpose and and spirit so i do think that's a little bit of uh things people are gonna have to work through um to make sure that again we don't get back to the wally effect because <laughs> uh everyone's floating around i don't know if that's going to be a good thing um but nonetheless i i think there's great profound things are going to happen as a result of this and as with anything that that's profound you also get the hey how do i as a threat actor figure out how to use this stuff right how do i use it for my nefarious purpose and we were talking right at the outset when i said i was a novel same core things right they back then you had fraud you had scams you had these different things and now you're just gonna have a new way to kind of attack people through fraud and scams etc and and that's the reason why i think in the security world in particular you have to be able to co-opt these tools to almost put as i said these countermeasures in place 
and don't do it from uh, AI washing. I, the one thing that pisses me off a lot is when I see you, you remember everything. You remember back in the the dot com thing. Next, if you put a dot com next to your name, you got a billion dollar valuation, right? And it was like everything. Yeah. It was like you know sock.com right everything and then next thing you know it was cloud cloud this cloud that and even though there was no cloud to begin with and and now you're in the ai world everything's ai and then now it's generative ai so back to your point at rsa there was definitely people just slap that name up there um but there is true use for this inside of security as a countermeasure and i think that's going to be important as we go forward and people really do need to kind of get underneath the covers and don't rely just singly on generative AI. You want to look at different signals that you're trying to, particularly in our world, right? We use the reason why we call it human AI, right? You're using site kind of visualization, how you would recognize things. Again, I mentioned that Office 365 login page. You want to know exactly what it looks like. That's the site side, spoken language. That's typically where you're using natural language processing. Um, but I think that the big leap forward on the generative side of the equation is the contextualization. Think about what your brain does, um, right? If, I, if I'm if i approached, right, all of a sudden in a dark alley and someone, uh, you feel a little bit of a threat, you're kind of, your brain's contextualizing and spawning a thousand different ways to, quote, get out of that scenario. And I think that's a little bit of the leap forward now in security is I can now use contextualization to spawn a thousand different iterations so I can figure out the best way to, to kind of move forward. Um, and so I think in many respects, AI is going to emulate those kind of human senses. And if you can use that in a, not only in a productive way on your kind of, as we were talking about before, but also use it in the security side so I can do uh, almost put those countermeasures in place. I think the world will be all the better for it. And certainly in our specific world, if we can do nothing else, as I said, if we can remove all those bad emails that are coming in, because it's still the FBI report, top two vectors that they're continually attacking people, SMS and email, right? Because uh, they're kind of front door, side door problems. If I can stop those, I can kind of narrow that attack surface for all those security professionals out there. And I can prevent 90% of the colonial pipeline attacks to city of oakland ransomware was a fish through email i can keep going down the list of all the number of quote ransomware events all the number of malware atp threats they all started with that human kind of kind of click on this link or send this money here if i can do that then i can narrow the world i can again i think we're going to do a lot of good for people out there and make people's jobs will have a lot easier as opposed to just this broad spectrum of of stuff i have to deal with continually yeah. No, I definitely agree. And I think that, you know, despite whatever concerns exist now or the, the issues, you know, like you talked about, you know, like on, on Capitol Hill, like, you know, there are people who are like, hey, you know what, let's let's kind of put the brakes on here and figure out some rules and, you know, rules of engagement for for AI. That makes sense. But ultimately, you know, there are some people who are like, yeah, we just you know, we just need to not do that. It's like, well, no, that ship sailed. Like, we're definitely doing this. <laughs> so we just need to figure out how to do it right. Um, yeah. And and to and kind of to your point into what Slash Next has done with the generative human AI, it's everything that everything that makes my life easier also makes it easier for the attacker. Yep. So. And that includes email, that includes SMS, you know, texting, but it also includes generative AI. And so it's like, 
it's an unfortunate rule. It's a, it's, a, it's it's an unfortunate absolute that the things that work for you can also be used against you. Yeah, I think that's an age-old human problem, right? Mm-hmm. They, going back to <laughs> that that dynamite that was created, right, to go find minerals, right? Well, all of a sudden they figure out, well, that dynamite can be used to hurt people too, right? It's it's a yeah. continual type of evolution out there. Yep. Um, all right. Well, I, I want to kind of wrap things up, but uh, I guess to kind of close out, I just wanted to maybe bring it back to um, the slash next perspective and, and just like, you know, kind of, you know, how do you, what do you see as kind of the, the next big thing or, or, or how will you continue to adapt and evolve you know, either either with the generative AI or just in general with the threat landscape. Yeah. So again, obviously, I spoke a little bit about this. Um, a, we we took this thesis. Listen, it's a multi-channel communication, multi-channel messaging world. Meaning, I can come at you from an email perspective, or a text message, or a Telegram signal, WhatsApp, whatever your favorite way you interact with the world. The threat actors know that. And again, at its basic form, they're going to compromise you either through a link, a file, or this natural language attack. Um, Allah, again, send this PO to this destination or call your IT department immediately because your account got compromised. And so with that as kind of a construct, right, and and knowing that 90% of all successful breaches, ransomware, malware, financial fraud, data theft, they all start with that human interaction in that message. This is where we believe we could you know, kind of quote the next generation. Everyone talks about this rather than rely on signatures and heuristics and all these other things that these older tools that rely on. Let's use AI and now generative AI to, to basically detect these things without re- requiring human training, detect these and, and pull them out of the way before the users have the opportunity to interact with them. And that, you know, candidly, that's exactly what we do. We put a bubble around a user, whether you're coming in email, we remove those threats before you interact. Whether you're in the mobile side, you're in text message, we're gonna take those out before you interact. Or if you're on your PCs and your Macs and you're in Google search term number four, right? And it has a rogue browser extension. Speaking of ChatGPT, there was actually a rogue browser extension in the Google Play Store that had ChatGPT on it. And guess what? It compromised the CIO. Um, we're going to put that protective bubble around the user and we're going to prevent these things before they kind of take down the network right or take down the company and and that's our that's our goal that's our mission in life and we believe we're successful in helping companies help themselves right we do we think we can make a big impact back to the breaches <coughs> and perhaps tony the best way to kind of take a look at i'm always a big fan of with any security tool out there take a test drive and prove it right don't just have someone say it there's a reason why, like an email, you can set up. I've uh, heard of like threat observability, right? You can literally within five minutes uh, tie directly into the Microsoft API, um, and you can see over a 30-day period, see what's missed in your current Microsoft environment, or see what's missed in your Proofpoint or your Mimecast. Pick your poison. You're gonna. It's gonna be pretty eye-opening because um, many of those tools are using kind of old techniques to find these things as opposed to the new techniques. The same thing on your mobile phone, right? Uh, both on your personal and professional side. If you got those unwanted text messages, pull them out. Because A, they're a scourge. B, right? They're uh, people, particularly in the employee side, do interact with those things and they're pretty dangerous. Um, or if I'm on Teams or Slack or Zoom on my PC or Mac, right? 
um, you can also take a look and see, hey, if these are things that I'm now preventing from, from really taking hold in the environment. So our service is very lightweight, easy to implement, literally takes five minutes. Um, I like to say even my, my mom could do it, uh, which is a great thing because uh, I think the other thing we want to be, and I, I took this philosophy going way back to Novell, security needs to be about simplicity, less is more. And anytime you have these tools upon tools upon tools, and then second, I particularly in this dearth of security, I don't have enough skill sets out there. That's where I think SaaS has made it significantly better, native integration directly into the API um, and or native integration into the phone or on the PCs or Macs. And then operating as almost a zero touch service is a huge benefit to the company as well. Um, so in many respects, as I said, zooming back, right? We, we took that thesis, if we can stop you from, uh, stop kind of humans from interacting with these threats, we can do a lot of uh, good for the world. Um, and in turn, again, coming back, let's let's focus on playing golf or playing whatever, as opposed to always worrying about what's going on and, and kind of from these threats. Okay, very good. I appreciate you uh, taking the time. It was, a, it was a fun conversation. Yeah, absolutely. It was a real pleasure. All right, take care. I appreciate you investing your time to listen to the podcast, but I also invite you to engage on social media. Uh, please go like our Facebook page and follow at Techspective on Twitter and Instagram. You can feel free to let me know what you like, let me know what you don't like, let me know if you love it, let me know if it sucks, and uh, let me know what products you'd like to see reviewed or what uh, questions you'd like to see answered in future posts.